thing that happened from 1967 onwards that was largely, uh, had a large impact on the hippies. So all these hippies started coming off the beaches wearing their tank tops and their board shorts and they started flooding into the churches. I've been to America, uh, would you believe, I've been to America in my previous life, pre-COVID, 71 times. And just about every pastor friend that I have over there has a picture of himself as a hippie. Some of them have got, you know, dreadlocks and, you know, wearing these dodgy looking tank tops and sometimes with a slightly suspicious looking cigarette hanging out of the corner of their mouths. This was a genuine move of God. And I want to read you something from that article. Can I read this to you? Okay, six, I can read it to six of you. Can I read this to you this morning? (laughs) Wanted, Jesus Christ, alias the Messiah, the Son of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, etc. Notorious leader of an underground liberation movement. Wanted for the following charges. Practicing medicine, winemaking, and food distribution without a license. Interfering with business people in the temple, associating with known criminals, radicals, subversives, prostitutes, and street people, claiming to have authority to make people into God's children. Appearance, typical hippie type, long hair, beard, robed sandals. Hangs out in slum areas, has a few rich friends, often sneaks out into the desert. Beware, this man is extremely dangerous. His insidiously inflammatory message is particularly dangerous to young people who haven't been taught to ignore him yet. He changes men and women and sets them free. Warning, he is still at large. So it's nice to meet you. Uh, like, uh, like Andre said, I, I, uh, I live in Tauranga. Um, actually, by the way, Where's young Ross? I met Ross, this Ross, Ross over here. I met him, he's a swimmer. And I met him because we have a swimmer. Are Ross's parents here? Okay, so early mornings, lots of driving back and forth, a lot of time spent hanging around swimming pools. I know uh, we, 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 you know, like our son was just swimming in, in, uh, in a big competition and he did a, you know, at one point he was doing one of those post-race interviews and he did a shout out and I was like, hang on a minute, you should be shouting out to me and, and your mum because we're the ones that are taking you to the pool at half past five, 19 days a week. And, uh, and uh, you know, we often joke, we don't have a mortgage, we have a swimmer. But uh, actually, Ross, he's probably never going to want to talk to me again, but I, I felt to say this actually publicly. He came and had a chat to me and the Lord said to me, uh, actually, Ross, he said, you are going to be a man of influence. And uh, the Lord said to me this, and I knew this in part. He says, God is giving you access to older men. He's giving you an opportunity. You are in the leadership development program of the Holy Spirit. And in the days ahead of you, you're going to be a man of influence, exercising humble leadership in the name of Jesus. So I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in that. And um, I have a very simple message for you today, if I may. Is simple okay with you, or do you want complex theology? (laughs) Let's just do simple, shall we? Uh, See, it is quite simple. I love what Warren just shared about communion. Uh, I became a follower of Jesus on Oriwa Beach on the 17th of December, 1985. Prior to that, I'd been quite an evangelical atheist. Um, And then the God that I didn't believe touched me in a tangible way on the beach, and I became a follower of Jesus. And I want to... The message I'm going to share with you today is... Is partly a Bible study and partly a testimony. So if you've got your Bibles, open them or turn them on. If you've got a real Bible, rustle the pages so we can hear the pages being rustled as you turn. I didn't tell you where to open it. Just open it anywhere. It's all good. Now we're going to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Wasn't that good also? Just that be still and know that I am God. You know, be still and know that I'm God from Psalm 4610 doesn't mean stop doing stuff and think happy thoughts about Jesus, 
The word know there is the Hebrew word yada, which means to know personally, tangibly, intimately, experientially. So Psalm 46.10 is not just stop and think happy thoughts about Jesus. Psalm 46.10 is stop, cease, slacken, be still, and encounter God. He's a God who wants not just to be known about, but to be known. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to hear Him. He wants us to encounter Him. And the key to what God will do in Rolleston is when the people of God gathering in congregations like this, when we really begin to not just know about Him in a religious sense, but to really begin to meet Him and know Him tangibly and personally. And then we'll go out from here and what God will do will be unstoppable through a people that really know Him. Daniel 11.32, they that know their God, yada, shall be strong and do exploits. How many of you want to be strong and do exploits? Oh, some of you are not putting your hand up. So you want to be weak and do nothing. Is that, what that, is that right? Who wants to be strong and do exploits? We want to be strong and do exploits, so we need to know our God. Okay, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty for the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, here's what you need to understand. It says he went to the synagogue as was his custom. The nature of things in those days is that men of a certain age within the Jewish community, they would be rostered, and they would be rostered to share in the synagogue. They would be rostered, so, so there would be a roster of the men, and they would take their turn to read from one of the scrolls and then to make a few comments. And Jesus was rostered on this day, and it wasn't just random, the readings and the scrolls were also rostered. And so Jesus just happened by coincidence to be rostered on this day, and it just happened by coincidence to be that they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he opened up and he read this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now what would happen after that? is they would roll the scroll up and they would hand it back to the attendant and then they would make some comments. And so Jesus has read this passage. It's been happening for 600 years. Israel had had the book of Isaiah for about 600 years. It had been read over and over and over again. And for 600 years, the tradition had been men making comments on this passage. But nothing like this had ever happened. He handed the scroll to the attendant and he sat down and everybody was looking, waiting to hear what he would say. And here is his comment. Think about this. Imagine like you've never read this before. About the 600-year-old prophecy, he says this. Today, in your hearing, the scripture is fulfilled. Imagine that. You've been reading this and hearing this for generations, and now a young man says, this scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed. He says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. He was saying this right here, right now, in front of you, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do that. Holy smokes. You're looking very casual about that. Holy smokes, can you imagine the shockwave as he said that? This young man in his early 30s says in front of all of them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And in doing so, Jesus, who is the template for all who would follow, was saying this, the way the Spirit of the Lord is upon me is setting the precedent for the way that the Spirit of the Lord will be on all who follow me. Right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a wholehearted follower of Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is on you to do the same thing. If you're here today and you are not yet a wholehearted follower of Jesus, there is an open door upon you. 
in front of you rather, where Jesus in his own body, as Warren just talked about, he's opened a door for you to enter in that the Spirit of the Lord can be upon you. To declare good news, to see people set free, to see blind eyes open. That's what Jesus was saying. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You doing okay so far? I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. <laughs> See, sometimes you say cheeky things like that just to make sure that everybody's paying attention. 2 Corinthians 3.17. You doing all right? You all right with my North Island accent? It's all right. I'm married to a South Islander. My wife's a Nelsonian. When we're, whenever we're in the South Island, she says, ah, this is the better island. It is too. You know, one time I was with a group of young people and I was reading from the NIV Bible. I told them it was a North Island version. You can see them all like, what the heck? I don't want some stupid North Island version. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now listen to this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is religion. Is that what it says? Okay, let's read it again. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is dead, boring church services that have no impact on your life. That's not what it says. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Listen to this. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty from fear. Liberty from bondage. Liberty from curses, from addiction. Even ultimately, liberty from the fear of death. Authentic liberty, not bondage masquerading as liberty. See, there is a liberty out in the world that says, you can do whatever you like, you can drink whatever you like, smoke whatever you like, do whatever you like with whoever you like, and it just brings bondage. Or there is a liberty that says, I can, I can express my individuality, but a lot of people do it by becoming like everybody else. This is authentic liberty, to live a life conformed to how you were created to be. Not a copy of someone else. You were born an original. Don't die a copy of something on the television or in a magazine. Liberty to live before God's eyes of fire, but to know because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can do that unafraid. I told you I was going to intersperse my message with a little bit of my story. Shortly after I became a believer in 1985, I discovered Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household your whanau, your family. And so I'll, I'll tell you another story in a minute uh, of how the gospel got to my atheist dad and my agnostic mum and my couldn't give a hoot grandparents. I'll tell you about that in a minute. So the gospel began spreading through my family. But there was one problem. The problem was my Uncle Bill. My Uncle Bill was deported from Australia in the 1960s for being a opium and heroin dealer. The Australians sent him home. He was never allowed to go back to Australia the rest of his life. He had a, a significant addiction to opium, and uh, when he came back to New Zealand, the government put him on uh, methadone, which is like the government-sanctioned thing that they give to people that are addicts that can't come off drugs. My Uncle Bill was uh, living with the lady we called my Auntie Robin. She was, uh, to put it in the PG terms, she was a dancer. And Uncle Bill's house was always weird. It always smelled weird. And he had weird things on the walls and all this. And I remember about, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your family. I remember thinking, how is this going to get to Uncle Bill? And the Lord said, write your testimony. Write it down, put it in an envelope and post it to him. Remember when you used to do that? Before emails. You know, you'd write with a pen on paper and then you'd you know, lick an envelope and put it in this box where it magically disappeared and reappeared somewhere else. So I wrote my testimony and I sent it to him. You know, I didn't know for months afterwards. He read my testimony and God touched his life and he repented and gave his heart to the Lord. As did my Auntie Robin. Now here's the really interesting thing. He went to the doctor to get his three times a week methadone shot. They used to three times a week give him enough methadone to anesthetize a horse. He kept all the vials. He had them in big 40-gallon drums in his carport these empty vials of this poison that they'd poured into him. He went to the doctor and he says, I'm not having this anymore. The doctor said this to him. 
He said, the withdrawals, if you stop, will kill you. He said, I would rather die free than live addicted. And he stopped the methadone. And because this is true, he had no withdrawal symptoms. And he and my Auntie Robin got married and they spent the next 20 years of their life reaching out to some of the wildest people, man. We used to have them turn up for Christmas Day with vans full of the most interesting people. I, I remember they would turn up. For, I remember one time seeing my grandma in her 80s. You know, grandma was quite short, big wide smile. And she was standing there waiting to get at the turkey. And in front of her was the wildest looking group of people. And my Uncle Bill, he spent the next 20 years of his life preaching the gospel to those who were addicts and those who were living on the street and those who were in gangs. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty manifests itself differently among different groups of people. What does liberty look like among young people? What does it look like when liberty breaks out among teenagers? You know what I believe? I believe one of the great signs in our nation in the next 10, 15, and 20 years is going to be God pouring out a spirit on children, young people, and young adults. You know what I think? Hear me the right way. Through the young people, through God pouring out a spirit on the young people, God is going to scare the hell out of the church. Hear it the right way. How many of you know hell's not supposed to be in the church? Hello? All right. You sure about that? You know what I think it's going to be like? It's going to be like this. How many of you remember in 1 Samuel 16 when the prophet Samuel hears from the Lord, it's time to anoint a new king to replace King Saul. And so God sends Samuel to the house of a man called Jesse. And he goes to Jesse and he says, line your sons up. And so he lines them up from the tallest, Isaac, Luca. He lines them up, but he's got like seven of them, and he lines them up. And Samuel the prophet looks at the first one, the big one, and he's like, oh, look at this big guy. Because remember, Saul, the prototype for Israel's king, was head and shoulders above. So he looked at the tall one, and he was like, that's got to be it. Sorry, I'm shouting. I'm getting too carried away, too excited about being with you. I'll calm down. He looks at the big guy and he says, this got to be it. And God says, no, I've rejected him. Don't look at the outward appearance because man looks at the outward appearance. God's looking at the heart. He goes to the next one. God says, no, the next one, no, the next one, no, the next one, no, the next one, no. And he's thinking, there's only one left if I counted, right? And comes the next one, God says, no. So Samuel's like, what's going on? So he goes back to Jesse and he says, do you have any more sons? And Jesse probably flushes a little bit red. He's perhaps a little bit, you know, uncomfortable and sort of squirming around because, yes, there is another son, but he's not treated like a son. David is out looking after the sheep, not doing the job of a son, doing the job of a servant, not even invited to line up among the sons. Why? In Psalm 51, David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. He was kind of like the, the secret, the black sheep of the family. And so Jesse flushes a little bit red. He's got the prophet looking at him. You got any more sons? And he says, well, oh, <coughs> well there's one more. But he's out making music with the sheep. And Samuel says, send for him. We won't sit down till he arrives. And it says David comes in. It makes this interesting thing. It's an interesting comment. He was handsome and red. That's what it says. He'd been out. Maybe he was a bit lobstified from being out with the sheep. And he comes in and Samuel hears the Lord say, that's the one. Don't you love that God didn't choose the most likely he didn't choose the one with the best pedigree. He didn't choose the one that was the most impressive. He chose the one that had the right heart. And here's what it says. And this is, this, is going, this is going to be wonderful for the church. And it's going to flush out some prejudices within the church. It says that Samuel anointed him with oil. Now, you know, you know if you come for a healing prayer and they anoint you with oil, we get a little tiny little bit on our finger and we go... Across the forehead. That's not how it worked. This is how it worked. There was like a shofar, a, a horn full of oil. 
and they would come along and go like this. Glug, 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 glug. So it's running all down your face and all down your clothes. And so David's there covered in oil and it says this, listen. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power right in the presence of his enemies, of his brothers, sorry, not his enemies, right in the presence of his brothers. We're going to see that happen. We're going to start seeing the Spirit of the Lord coming on the children. We're going to start seeing children filled with the Holy Spirit and having dreams as God speaks to them. We're going to see children with an anointing where they can pray for their grandma when she's sick and the grandma gets healed. God will pour out His Spirit on the children and He's going to pour out His Spirit on the young people and it's going to get pretty interesting and pretty wild. I'm 53 years old and I still speak at youth camps. Isn't that hilarious? When they invite me, I'm like, you know I'm not young, eh? You know I haven't got like super skinny jeans and, a, you know. <laughs> Whatever that is. People have said to me for years, they say, well... You know what the problem with the young people is, don't you? Well, here's some here. You know what the problem with the young people is? They're too rebellious. We have to get the rebellion out. And I, um, forgive me, but my response is you won't get it out because God put it in. And then they're like, and they're, they're like, but rebellion is sin like witchcraft. Yes, rebellion against Godly authority is sin. Rebellion against demonic authority is spiritual warfare. You've got a generation of young people alive today. One third of them were killed before they were born. You've got a generation of young people today, even in the high schools, that are living in the most toxic culture that I believe has existed anywhere on planet Earth. And they've got a bit of fight on the inside of them. We don't want them to not be rebellious. We just want to teach them to rebel against the right stuff. Your fight's not with your parents and your school teachers and Pastor Andre and me, something's going to happen among young people and they're going to rise up and be who Jesus has made them to be, a sign and a wonder in the midst of a generation that the enemy thinks he owns. One of the other things you hear is this, well, you know, young people have a short attention span. They've been saying that so long, they were saying it to me when I was young. Listen, if we go on a long drive, and Isaac's in the back, if I let him hotspot my phone, he'll sit there with his iPhone, looking at this tiny little screen for hours. He doesn't have a short attention span. You know what he has? He has a low, boring tolerance. <laughs> you can't preach to young people. They've got a short attention span. No, they don't. They've got a low, boring tolerance. <laughs> Church is boring till God shows up. It's like a long-haul flight is boring till wild turbulence shows up. <laughs> I was on a Boeing 747 once, and we flew into the wildest turbulence. There were bags falling out of overhead lockers, people screaming. Nobody was bored. <laughs> Young people are allergic to things that are boring. Church and life is boring till God shows up. They are allergic to life without God blazing away in the center, turning over the tables of dead religion, pouring out a spirit and doing crazy and wonderful things. That's what they were born for. What does liberty look like among the parents' generation? You know, I've got a friend and he uh, reaches out in Mount Monganui, he reaches out to a lot of, uh, lot of young people from very, you know, th that are in, in difficult situations. His house is always full of these young people. He recently had a gathering with the parents, and the parents are terrified. The parents are saying, we don't know what to do. I mean, there have been three or four suicides in, in the Mount Monganui area among 13, 14, and 15-year-olds. One boy, just a lovely, a lovely young man, he, he had an argument with his mum, and to get back at her, he took his own life. And the parents are terrified, and they're wondering, what do we do? You know what I think? I think that what God does among the children is going to have a radical impact on the parents, and on the grandparents, and on the uncles and the aunties. 
In the book of um, 1 Kings, there's a passage where Elijah is staying at the house of a widow. And you know the story. She sees this ongoing miracle where no matter how much oil she pours out, it doesn't run out. No matter how much flour she uses, it doesn't run out. And this goes on and on and on, day after day, week after week. But then her son dies. And she basically turns and she blames Elijah. But Elijah goes up. And it says he stretches himself out on the boy and prays for him seven times. And the boy comes back to life. And I don't know if he's a little boy that Elijah could carry or a bigger boy that Elijah walked down the stairs with. But he comes down and he gives the boy back to his mother. And I think it's 1 Kings 17, 24. The mother says, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. What made her know? Resurrection life seen in her son. One of the greatest evangelistic impacts is going to be when the children and the young people, when the parents and the grandparents see resurrection life in their children and in their young people. It's going to send shockwaves through entire families. My story is this, that uh, just a few months after I became a follower of Jesus in 1985, my sister joined me. She became a follower of Jesus. Our parents were not happy about this, and ironically, my godmother reassured my mother that don't worry, it's just a phase. That's not very good godmothering. She didn't really have the godmothering thing happening right, did she? Then shortly after that, my sister, who was then 16, was diagnosed with large cell lymphoma, a very dangerous cancer. They said, you're going to have to have chemotherapy, surgery, radiotherapy. And they said to her, 16 years old, they said, you'll never be able to have a family and there's a 70 plus percent chance that you won't see your 20th birthday. So my mum and dad are sitting there in the office hearing this news. I'm sitting there and my sister turns to the doctor as he starts laying out the treatment and says, I won't have that treatment, thank you, until I've been home and my brother has prayed for me to be healed and then I'll come back in three days and you can test me again and if the cancer's still there, now I'll have it. Man of faith and power that I am, I'm sitting there going, what are you talking about? <laughs> Mum and dad are sitting there just like smoke coming out their ears. You know, one, on one hand, they're angry. On the other hand, they're upset. The atmosphere in the car going home was rather tense. We get home. My sister pulls out a little stool into the middle of the lounge, sits on it. She says, Mum, Dad, come here. And then she turns to me and she says, do it. I'm thinking this isn't going to work. I haven't been a believer. I haven't even given up swearing yet. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm still a work in progress. I put my hand on her and I prayed for her and I felt nothing. There was as much of the presence of God as you find in a chocolate fish. There was nothing going on. I laid my hands on her and I prayed be healed as in many ways as I could think of. I tried to make it sound fancy because God's impressed with fancy prayers. And I prayed for her, and after about two minutes, I ran out. Mum stormed out, went to the bedroom, slammed the door, and could hear her crying. Dad went downstairs. It's the only time in my life I've ever heard him do a burnout when he jumped in his Vauxhall Magnum and took off down the road spinning the tires. And my sister turns to me, still sitting on the chair, and she says, well, I think that went well, don't you? <laughs> anyway, I've got to finish this up. We went back to the doctor three days later. The cancer was no longer there. We have before and after uh, x-rays or whatever they were. We have before and after x-rays. Tumor the size of a large grapefruit, gone. Tumor the size of a large orange, gone. Amazing. That's how my mum and my dad and my grandparents became followers of Jesus because they saw resurrection life in my sister and it spread like a wildfire through the whole family. And my sister she has four kids, and we just celebrated her 50th birthday two days ago. Yeehaw! Okay, let's finish this up. You doing okay? God's going to do something among the children. He's going to do something among the young adults. I tell you what, we've had a prophecy in our church. There is coming a time when the call is going to go out from the children's area. You've got to come. God has broken out among the children. I'm just telling you. Let's go back to this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We're just going to look at three things. Where? Spirit of the Lord and liberty, and then I'm going to finish. Fair enough? Who'll let me do those three things? Give me a wave. You let me do those three things? Okay. Number one, where? The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere. 
Right now, if you do this, your hand is moving through his presence because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. So why would it say where the Spirit of the Lord is? If he's everywhere, how can there possibly be bondage? How can there possibly be brokenness, addiction, fear, shame? Because it's not just talking about the fact that he's omnipresent. The where is talking about places where he is treasured, where he is loved, where we deliberately and consciously make room for him. I'm not just talking about church gatherings. I'm talking about you and I doing that in our houses, in our cars as we drive. That we say, Holy Spirit, I know that you're everywhere, but I want to be aware because I love you. There's a song that I've had on repeat for a few, uh, couple of weeks now. And the chorus is just really simple. I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. And there's this one spot where the lady sings, your way is better. I love the presence of the Holy Spirit. His way is better. When he turns up, there is liberty. When it's just us, all we have is an empty show. We can have lights and, and audio visual and smoke machines, but if people need Jesus and they turn up and that's all they get, what a disaster. So number one, as a church, you want to say we are going to be aware. As a family, we are going to be aware. As an individual, I'm going to be aware. You know, when our son Isaac, who's now 15 and nearly as tall as me, when he was little, his favorite place was on my shoulders. And I remember walking down the main street of Richmond in Nelson. And it's, you know, it's old style, you know, with the shops down the street and they've got the roofs out the front. And each one is a different height. And when you're walking along with a little person whose head's up here, you're just walking along. You don't want to hear clunk. <laughs> you walk mindful of the fact that this little human being is sitting on your shoulder. To become aware the Spirit of the Lord is, we start living mindful of the fact. I don't want there to be things going on here that you don't enjoy. Holy Spirit, I love you. I treasure you. So number one, where? Right now, today, you can choose to be a where. You can go to your workplace tomorrow as a where. You know, there's a, we're, we're looking at selling our house. We had real estate agents come through our house. And there's the front room where I pray in the mornings. And they come in, and it's funny, they all go in, and they're all in there, and they're like, wow, this room feels really nice. And one of them was in there, she was like, she was like wow, what is it, I really like this room, and she was doing circles. It's aware the Spirit of the Lord is. Number two, Spirit of the Lord. This is the Holy Spirit. Do you know He's the third person of the Trinity? Uncreated third person of the Trinity. That when God the Father through Jesus the Son, who is the Word, said, let there be light. It was God the Holy Spirit that was the power source that created the universe. Some people treat the Holy Spirit like He's the force from Star Wars. The force is personal. The Holy Spirit has emotion. He is personal. He can be grieved. He can be delighted. Some people treat the Holy Spirit like He's, he's kind of like the the poor relation in the Trinity. We have the Almighty Father and we have the glorious Son. But then we have this awkward issue of the Holy Spirit and we're just not sure about that because sometimes when He turns up, weird things happen and we just don't want the cringe factor. You know, when you buy a car, you can buy extras for your car. Maybe you want to upgrade the stereo or maybe you want to get some nicer wheels. Holy Spirit is not like an upgrade. He's the engine. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 says, No one can even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You don't get to pick and choose whether your Christian faith is with or without the Holy Spirit. You can't even begin the journey without Him. He's the Spirit of the Lord. Do you understand? He's not just, he's not just well, maybe we'll have a little bit of that. He is the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. That's a good point for an amen. So we want to be aware the Spirit of the Lord is. We need to acknowledge Him. John Arnott calls Him the star-breathing God of heaven. Sometimes people say, do you believe in the Big Bang Theory? 
I go, yes, I do, but just probably not your Big Bang theory. I think when God the Father through God the Son said, let there be light, and somehow Holy Spirit created, I think there was a Big Bang. I just don't think it was random. I think it was Him. So we want to be aware, and then we want to acknowledge Him as the Spirit of the Lord, and then finally, liberty. What does liberty look like? If you have shame in your life, it's freedom from shame. I guarantee you, if I ask the question, how many of you carry shame or sometimes feel disqualified? Let me put it to you this way. How many of you sometimes feel deeply, deeply unspiritual? How many of you sometimes have sat in church and, you know, the worship's going on and you're, you're, you're pondering what's happening in the rugby and you wonder if I'm the most unspiritual person in the whole church? Who's ever had that sort of thing? Okay, let me ask this. How many of you sometimes feel disqualified? Failure? Shame? Loser? <laughs> Who relates to that? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty from all of that because Jesus paid so you wouldn't have to carry it. He carried it. You know what Romans 8 says? I'm just going to tell you this. What's your name? It, that's not what Romans 8 says, by the way. <laughs> may, I, may I use you for a moment? <laughs> Romans 8 says this. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. It's not this. Hey, you're a son. It's this. The word testifies like this. It's, an, it's a repetitive. It's like this. You are a son. 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 That's what Holy Spirit's doing. Devil's going, you're a loser. You're disqualified. You're useless. Holy Spirit's going, you are a son. You are a son. That's a nice shirt. You are a son. You are a son. And then the enemy comes around with, does God really love you? Insecurity and fear. Liberty from that. Liberty from disqualification. Liberty from addiction. Liberty from fear of death. Liberty from fear of the future. Liberty from fear about, is COVID going to kill my job and I won't have anything to pay my bills? It's liberty. It's liberty to worship. It's liberty to rejoice. It's liberty to actually enjoy God. Religion makes it impossible to enjoy God because this is what religion looks like. Well, you know, variations on that. Oh, worship team, would you come back, please, from wherever you are? Praise the Lord, I've gone too long. Some of you are greatly reassured as I call the worship team, aren't you? It's like, this guy looked like he could go on forever. I have one more, I have one more story to tell you. Can I tell you one more story? Two weeks ago today, uh, a family in our church was sitting in our gathering and halfway through the message, they all got up and left. And I know these people well. I know them well. I know they weren't offended. I know something had happened. And so uh, they sent me a text message. Sorry, we had to leave. I said, what's up? They have a, their oldest son hasn't been walking with the Lord. And uh, he woke up to find that his um, partner was lying in bed beside him, not breathing. She's 24 years old, and she's lying in bed, not breathing. So they start doing CPR. They call for uh, emergency help. That takes, you know, 10 or 15 minutes to get there. The whole time, this, this young lady, they're giving her CPR. They stabilize her and put all the machines on her, and they take her off to uh, Waikato Hospital in Hamilton. That was Sunday afternoon. Monday, the doctors announce that she is, she's dead. She's, she, she, will, she will die this afternoon. She has hours to live. She's brain dead. Uh, all her organs are shutting down. But the church was praying. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So Monday afternoon, this lady, 24 years old, doesn't know the Lord. She's, she's on a respirator, given up for dead. Tuesday morning, the doctors say, well, strange. She's still going to die, but it's going to take a few days now because her organs are beginning to function. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Strange thing was, Wednesday morning, she woke up. By Wednesday lunchtime, she's eating ice cream. Now, 
where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That young lady, if she had died on that day, was heading for an uncertain eternity. But now she's woken up and she knows who has woken her up. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Think about the place where you work. Holy Spirit wants to get in there and bring liberty to people that are carrying shame and fear and bondage and addiction. He wants to come in and He wants to show Himself strong through the signs and wonders and miracles that are prophesied and promised directly in the Bible that accompany the declaration of the Word of God. Think about your family. Maybe you don't have an Uncle Bill in your family. Maybe you do. Isaiah 22, 22 says this, Jesus, the Son of God, holds this mysterious thing called the key of David. And it says this, what he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. Today, he can close the door on your shame, disqualification and fear. And there is nothing the devil can do to reopen it unless you invite him to do it. But the other thing is Jesus has set before each of us, first and foremost, a door to forgiveness of sin, salvation of our souls, and eternal security, knowing that our lives finish with well done, good and faithful servant. But secondly, He's also opened the door for every one of us, unspiritual or spiritual, to relinquish and surrender our lives to, be, to Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be who He's made us to be which is not just a group of religious attendees, but walking, talking, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-filled nightmares to the kingdom of darkness. That you're gonna be sitting on a bus and liberty breaks out in the seat beside you because you're there. There is a call on this church to be a spearhead, to be an arrowhead, to be a catalyst, to not follow the beaten trail of contemporary religion, but to go where the Lord will lead you. I prophesy to you as a people, you are gonna see signs, you are gonna see wonders, you are gonna see things that you're gonna need discernment because you're gonna see things you've not seen before. You're gonna see the Spirit of the Lord coming on these young ones. You're gonna see them, you're gonna see the Spirit of the Lord coming on them. What's your name again? Andy, you're going to see things like Andy, full of the Holy Spirit and being who God has made him to be. You're going to see the Spirit of the Lord coming on Isaac and Luca and Evie and, and I run out of names. And it's going to have an impact. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Would you mind standing up? As you stand up, I want you to smile reassuringly at the person beside you for a moment. Just give them a smile. Husband, if you're next to the wife you're married to, you can give her a kiss if you want. I said that once without the second part. I said, if you're standing next to your wife, give her a kiss. There was a guy there, he liked the girl beside him, so he gave her a kiss. I said, it's not quite right to do that, but good on you for having a go, mate. And here's what I want you to do, just very simply, just... Let's pick up what Pastor Andre was having us do before. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment. Don't wait on me, wait on Him. Right now you are in a where the Spirit of the Lord is because the pastors and the elders of this church have determined that this will be a place where we make room for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, right now for disqualification, dropping off people. Thank you, Lord, right now for shame, dropping off people where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you, Lord, for fear, dropping off people where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you, Lord, for empty religious bondage, dropping off people. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
Thank you, Lord, for confusion and disorientation dropping off people because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Fear of the future dropping off people because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you, Lord, for hard-hearted resistance to the gospel of salvation being disarmed and dropping off people because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Holy Spirit, begin to blow through this room, I pray. Begin to blow through this room, I pray. Begin to set fresh fire in people's hearts in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do what you love to do. Reveal the worth and the beauty and the majesty of this man, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega. I'm asking, Lord, that you would begin to release around the room the fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, flooding people's lives, filling their hearts, flooding them till they are overflowed. Thank you, Lord, for releasing in this room the anointing to be still and yada God. your eyes on the Lord, some of you will feel the anointing like a little spark, like a little fire beginning. You feel like this strange burning in your heart. You say, thank you, Lord, more, Lord. Because see, you're about to walk out of this corporate where the Spirit of the Lord is, and you have the open door to go out of here and to be an individual or a family where the Spirit of the Lord is. Mums and dads, begin to pray that your house is aware the Spirit of the Lord is. If you live alone, begin to pray that your room, your apartment, your flat, your home becomes aware the Spirit of the Lord is. Lord, I'm asking that these young people would be aware the Spirit of the Lord is. Let your presence and your power rest on them with fire in Jesus' name. of you in the room and you have been excited by what you've seen God beginning to begin to do in this fellowship. Had a word for the church last night, 1 Corinthians 2.9, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the hearts of men and women the things God has in store for those that love Him. That's the Lord saying to you as a fellowship, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is not yet the wind blowing. This is the first little whisper that you are familiar with when there's a big northwester coming, there's the first little whisper before the wind begins to blow. This is just the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. And I thank you, Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty in Jesus' name. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty in Jesus' name. Just hold yourself exactly as you are, and just open your eyes. How, how many of you right now, you can in some way, you are tangibly aware of the presence of God where you are right now? Would you just raise your hands right up high? Those of you that are not raising your hands, here's a key thing. You don't go, oh no. You go, thank you, Lord, that you're moving. Because the key to breakthrough in your own life is celebrating it in the life of someone else. How many of you have ever needed a financial breakthrough and someone right alongside you that didn't need it quite so much got it? And you're like, you kind of want to go praise God, but a part of you goes, dang it. The key is we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. Who wants more of God in their life? Okay. What I want you to do, we're going to do a little bit of body ministry before I hand this back. I want you gently, if you're comfortable to do it, put your hand on the shoulder of the person beside you and begin to pray more, Lord. Go on. Begin to pray more, Lord. 
More Lord. More Lord. When you don't have to pray something fancy, just pray more Lord. More Lord. Matthew 29, to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. More Lord. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. More Lord. More Lord. More Lord. Right along this line. More Lord. More Lord. More Lord. Pray more Lord one more time. Not just for us here. So when we go out of here, there's more for Rolleston. There's more for Canterbury. There's more for your family spread all over. There's more for your family that are overseas that you haven't seen for a while. There's more. There's so much that it will go through a FaceTime call or a Zoom call. There's so much of the presence of God that it would just overflow. need healing in your body. Thank you, Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let healing be released in Jesus' name. Healing be released in Jesus' name. Healing be released in Jesus' name. Healing in someone's knees be released in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Healing being released in Jesus' name. A well of healing right here at the cornerstone in Jesus' name. Because the cornerstone, Jesus, is the Lord, our healer. Let healing be released full measure in and through this fellowship. If you had pain in your body, just check and see if anything changed there. Just check. If you had pain in your body, just check. Just check. still there, you say, thank you, Lord. I'm asking again. If it's a little bit better, you say, thank you, Lord. I'll have more of that. And if it's totally better, you give him all the glory and you say, hallelujah, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Amen. Has anybody noticed some sort of a shift in terms of healing? Give us a wave if you notice a shift. Put your hand right up high. Church, have a look around at that. The Lord, our healer, is moving in amongst our gathering. It's wonderful. Here's, here's my last exhortation. I'll leave this with, uh, with the boss. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're right with God, don't leave the place without getting right with God. If you've never had your moment on Oriwa Beach where you went from being living one way to living the other, if you've never repented and had your sins forgiven, don't leave today without doing that. There are people here and, uh, and Andre will tell you how to go about it. The most important thing is that we know, that we know, that we know that we've made the great exchange where I give him me and in response, he gives me him. Hallelujah. I've really enjoyed meeting you. God bless you. God bless you.